Are you an early stage founder looking to grow your SaaS? The SaaS Doc Founder Membership is a private community of ambitious SaaS founders where you can get a support network of peers, connect with like-minded founders around the globe, and learn proven strategies from industry experts to help you scale up your SaaS. If you want to get access to peer groups, investor meetings, mentor hours, and more to help you scale faster together, then visit sasdoccom forward slash founder hyphen membership to apply, or just go to sasdoccom and go up to the header menu and click on memberships. And if in your application form, if it's right for you, mention the SAS Revolution show to apply for an exclusive discount. Find your SAS tribe and thrive with the SASDoc founder membership. Imagine if all your customers paid up front the moment you signed a contract. What would it mean for you? Capchase helps fast-growing recurring revenue companies finance growth without taking on debt or dilution. Whether you want to invest in growth or R&D, Capchase turns your predictable revenue into growth capital today. Capchase has helped founders unlock hundreds of millions in financing to fuel their growth, on average extend their runway by eight months and spared upwards of 16% dilution. See how insanely easy it is by clicking the link in the show notes or going to capchase.com forward slash sasdoc to learn more. You can decide and make a much more informed decision about which of those growth strategies you should leverage and at what points you should leverage them when you are customer led first. So mm-hmm. when you figure out what is the most appropriate experience for this customer. So Claire was just talking about like, what, what is that day that they wake up and they're like, today is the day I solved this problem. What does that day look like? That type of insight into your customers is critical to understanding whether or not you should even take a sales led or product led approach. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, uh, Gia Lordi and Claire Solentrop uh, from Forget the Funnel. Welcome both. Thanks for having us. Great to have you on the SaaS Revolution show. I think, well, first of all, it's great to meet you, Claire, for the first time after years of being aware of you, obviously, through Forget the Funnel and social media following, and I think even probably trying to get you to Dublin like uh, once or twice, but (laughs) circumstances or stars not aligning. Uh, Fingers fingers crossed for the future. (laughs) 2022, October, we'll uh, we'll, uh, put it in the calendar. But uh, And Gia, obviously... But welcome uh, to the podcast also for the first time. We've had you speak at a, a few SaaS uh, events uh, as well and hopefully some more in the future. But uh, good to have you both here. Uh, I'm excited for the conversation. Uh, where are you both uh, at, at the moment? Where are you in Canada? I'm in Montreal in Canada, yep. Yes. Uh, and for many years, I was in Atlanta, Georgia in the US. Um, I actually relocated now and I'm in the middle of the U.S. Uh, in Kansas City, Missouri. Not exactly the biggest tech scene, um, but that's the beauty of remote work, right? <laughs> very, cool. yeah, very true. Very true indeed. Uh, well, well, good stuff. Um, and uh, I, I'm I'm in sunny Ramsgate in uh, in the U.K. Uh, it's actually not so sunny, and it feels like uh, summer is gone and uh, autumn is already here. So, 
you know, tears <laughs> for that. Um, but look, tell us, um, you know, maybe for those, not, not necessarily me, but, you, you know, the audience that's listening, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who is uh, Gia Laudi or Lordi uh, and, uh, and Claire Sullentrop, you know, uh, who, who are you? And a uh, little, little bit about you, you know, uh, as people, uh, as well as, you know, uh, the companies that you started and, you know, working together. So just, to, I mean, I'll like, I, I'm happy to chat a bit, a bit about, you know, how we, how we began working together. Gia, if you, uh, if, if you want to give your own intro, you're also perfectly welcome. Um, Gia and I met back in 2017 now um, in a, uh, in a women's networking group, like a women in tech networking group. Um, we both have backgrounds leading uh, marketing for SaaS companies. Uh, we both joined uh, SaaS companies at relatively early stages. And then both those companies, um, I was with Calendly, uh, Gia with, was with Unbounce, uh, both have grown significantly. Um, and we really, independently of knowing, knowing each other during those years, um, we were a critical part of these teams seeing rapid, rapid growth, right? And the, the, uh, the, the like typical SaaS story. So um, we have that experience. Typical successful SaaS story. <laughs> You're so right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we had those uh, shared, though completely independent experiences and our backgrounds. And so when we met, um, we had a lot in common, a lot to discuss uh, and thought, you know, it would be really cool to do some kind of collaboration, some kind of project together at some point. Um, we have very similar philosophies about um, how marketing uh impacts a company and where it shows up within growth strategy, overall growth strategy, um, which probably leads into, you know, the, the story of what we began doing together. Um, anything else you would add to like the intro, the backstory, Gia, before we <laughs> go from there? Nope. I think you nailed it. Great. And let's say outside of, I mean, just getting to know you both as people, mm-hmm. so you're Claire, you're in Kansas, sure. uh, Gia, you're in Montreal, um, you know, what, what is it outside of SAS, like, you, you know, that you're, mm. you're into, uh, you know, any hobbies, you know, family people, like kite surfers or something like that, you know, something that maybe <laughs> you don't know about you, uh, perhaps, that you're happy to share. I am a mother of two small children, five and uh, six, and uh, they just started school this week. So I'm very much in like end of summer, start of school week, uh, just spent uh, our first summer at our new uh, lakefront property that we just bought in the spring. And we are, it has like four, like 125 year old houses on it. And so we are renovating, like completely gutting and renovating these like tiny little cottages on the water. Um, uh, at the, at the lake. And so that is what I have been doing. All of my spare time is spent parenting and in renovation mode. Uh, so that is, that is all I've have bandwidth for beyond obviously, uh, working, but yeah. Very, very, very cool. And I, I, I resonate, my kids go back to school tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, I think the parents are extremely excited, but actually the kids <laughs> seem to be more excited. And I, I don't remember, as a child, being excited for the summer holidays to end and going back to school, but right. my kids can't wait to get back. So I don't know what's happening. Yeah, same. Actually, similar. It's quite nice. But uh, anyway, what about, what about you, Claire? Something that we don't know about you? Ah, something we don't know. Uh, I've lived all over the states. Um, I grew up here in the Midwest region, uh, and then lived out in the New York region for quite a while in my pre-SAS years. 
Um, that was my that was my initial career stage. Uh, and Atlanta was where I really got into tech um, and have been on that trajectory since then. Uh, moving back to the middle of the of the U.S. was really a move to be closer to family. Um, so we've got my my husband and I both have a ton of family throughout this region, um, and so the big driver was um, really being able to be like a, a more consistent part of family life. Um, we do not have children, but we have a um, a ton of nieces and nephews. Um, I have siblings here. He has siblings here. My parents are here. So that's really been a big part of my life behind the scenes. Um, and then uh, oof, it's so hard to talk about hobbies because with like with COVID, every, every yeah. hobby uh, outside of work kind of died. <laughs> um, so, oh my goodness, what, um, what is there that is interesting? Uh, we recently moved into, um, a home where we plan to be for many, many years. Um, so somewhat along the lines of, you know, Gia, you, uh, you buying these cottages and renoing them. We're not necessarily renoing a home so much as we are like getting used to being in one place after years of moving very, very frequently. Um, so it's been a nice kind of like slow down. Uh, work has not slowed down, but personal life has slowed down a bit, which is fine. <laughs> good, good to hear. Thanks for sharing that. So uh, as you said like earlier, that you came together, you, you know, finding each other uh, via this kind of uh, online women in tech group and uh, therefore, you know, showing uh, a, a great example there of these, you know, online groups and communities and mm-hmm. uh, the value of that. And I know we both, uh, you know, sure. uh, run, uh, you know, online uh, communities. Um, but why, I guess, did you start Forget the Funnel, um, you know, and how do you help SaaS companies and some examples of maybe, uh, I don't know, if your clients are happy to kind of share, you know, some of the companies that you work with and, and how you help them? The sort of origin of Forget the Funnel was, um, as Claire mentioned, we had very much a shared sort of, um, we had a lot of, we had shared philosophies when it comes to marketing and growth. We, we also had um, a similar experience when we both left our in-house roles and began mm-hmm. consulting with SaaS companies. Um, again, this is back in early 2017, where we would have founders come to us wanting marketing and having very little understanding of you know what needs to go into it, um, expectations kind of out of whack, mm-hmm. um, you know, really expecting that marketing was something that was would should be added sort of after the fact as opposed to being involved in the process of you know product development and and mm. thinking about product growth and so we we were both seeing a lot of the same things when deal, when having these these uh you know client conversations a big big lack of expertise in the space as well i always kind of joke that i have this the advantage when i'm when talking to people about what i do that don't know what saas is i say i have this advantage of being quite senior in an industry that is quite young. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sort of the uh, number of people, like it just sheer numbers wise, uh, that can say that they've been working with SaaS companies for 10 years or 15 years is very slim. And when founders go out and finally decide, okay, it's time to add marketing to this thing, they get a very rude awakening when they realize what level of experience and what level of uh, skill and strategy a you know, manager level uh, marketer can provide versus and what the, that type of person costs versus somebody like a CMO or mm-hmm. that has that extra strategic level and a lot more experience. So that was sort of this 
realization of like, wow, all of our clients seem to be doing this. Plus on the flip side of that coin, we knew very well what it was like to be that marketer with the founder with sort of out of whack expectations. Um, not because we necessarily were in those situations ourselves, but our peers were. And we, of course, you know, experienced to some extent a misunderstanding or a sometimes a misalignment of sort of uh, not hierarchy, but prioritization within a SaaS business where everything seems to be about product. Everything seems to be about tech and uh, the often lowest paid, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, undervalued, typically overworked type customer facing type of roles in, you know, customer success and marketing. So Mm -hmm. we were aware of both of these things happening simultaneously, in-house folks feeling like, wow, I'm really struggling to get mentorship internally because nobody within this company really, uh, you know, understands marketing where they have unfair expectations of what marketing should be capable of. Um, you know, I'm overworked. I'm really stressed out. There's a lot of expectations on my shoulders to really find and, and sort of scale uh, rapidly. Um, and that can lead to burnout. And obviously there's a whole, I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on that topic alone. So we try, we launched, forget the funnel first, just in this, like, we need to try to bridge the gap here and we want to help these folks out as much as possible to sort of let them know that they know more way they know more than they think they know. Um, they can gain, you know, uh, some. They can gain a bigger seat at the table, so to speak, and gain the sort of um, that that level within a company if they, you know, think about things slightly differently or whatever. So when we started to forget the fun, a lot of our content was focused on, you know, how to gain buy-in from your CEO and how to, you know, how to build a strategy and, you know, what is the difference between a strategy and marketing tactics. And like, let's actually talk in real terms, what, you know, um, paid marketing, you know, how paid marketing for just a tiny example, isn't the solution to all of your marketing, you know, challenges mm-hmm. um, and how tactics need to be thought of as tactics and strategies really need to be um, sort of designed. And so we, a lot of our content was focused on that and helping those in-house folks. Simultaneously on the other side, of course, we were continuing to work with clients and with founders. And so we've sort of always sort of played the balance between the two and addressed those two markets. More recently, what we've been working on is actually helping uh, consultants and service providers of those SaaS companies. So we've been trying to, uh, through this framework that we've developed, and, and the framework that we use when we work with clients and that we teach to in-house folks, we're now helping other consultants to do the same thing with the clients that they work with. Wow, that was just like a big run on. And I don't even know that I 100% answered your question. No, 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 it did, it did but I'm still curious. And for the, uh, for the listeners, in terms of forget the funnel, uh, mm. you know, who should be a part of it? Is it, it it's marketers, you know, I don't know, growth uh, mm. folks, mm. Uh, et cetera. Um, strategists yeah strategists yeah yeah yeah. Uh, anybody responsible for like historically what who we've been focused on addressing is anybody who has been tasked with or is responsible for growing a SaaS business whether or not your title is head of growth head of marketing CMO founder or even somebody hired um you know maybe on a contract basis with with those Mm -hmm. companies so anybody thinking about growing a a SaaS business and and they're coming in and they're uh, they're Connecting with each other or learning by uh, through content, uh, you know, is it is it a 
community? Is it a, what is it, sort of program? So probably similar to uh, SASDOC, the, you know, our Forget the Funnel has evolved uh, over the past few years, and please, Claire, jump in whenever sure. I like leave some out. Uh, so originally we started out again, focused on those in-house folks and our sort of consultancy, a little bit behind the scenes, working with founders and directly with teams. Um, and we've been doing that for, for a number of years in that process though. And through our individual backgrounds, um, Claire and I, and this is the, the framework that I was just talking about a second ago, Claire and I have very similar backgrounds, but also very different backgrounds and expertise. Uh, Claire has deep expertise in customer research and in gathering customer insight and this critical customer insight. Um, I, on the other hand, have more of a background on the operationalizing side, strategy building, as we sort of married those two things. And when we started to talk to in-house folks about you know, how to address their growth needs, and certainly when we were working with founders, and when we, when we do also continue to work with founders on their, um, on their growth and, and scaling, we use this framework called customer-led growth, which is the marriage of those two things. It's you right. know, building scalable sort of revenue generating outcomes for businesses based on these critical customer insights. Um, and so that's customer-led growth. And we, using that framework, we work with clients uh, and our, the SaaS companies that we work with. We teach that framework to the in-house mm -hmm. folks. And now, like I just said before, we're also helping other consultants to use that same a framework uh, when working with SaaS companies. Awesome. So I, I want to talk a bit about this framework. We'll learn a little bit without you, you know, giving away the secret sauce or like, I don't know, like, you know, but it's uh, <laughs> pretty well uh, open books. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> and um, so yes, yeah, so I want to learn a little bit more about that. And I also want to talk about like, you know, if, if you're a, an early stage kind of a startup founder or even, you know, marketer um, and then moving away, uh, you know, from these kind of like piecemeal uh, sort of tactics and these ad hoc experiments to more sustainable growth. And I think obviously the two probably uh, or should like marry up uh, oh, yeah. pretty well, right? Mm -hmm. That's probably why you created the uh, the framework. So happy to talk about that, uh, give away some secrets, but not necessarily everything, but, um, you know, hopefully make some you know, good learning and listening uh, for the listeners. It might help to paint the picture of what companies typically have been doing to grow um, when they reach the point at which they realize that's no longer sustainable. Um, oftentimes when um, a, a, a potential client uh, comes to us or a founder or a head of marketing or whoever maybe um, comes to forget the funnel, what has typically happened is growth has been a series of very piecemeal efforts. Um, so maybe that, I mean, and that can show up in so many different ways. It might be that they've, um, they've developed an addiction to um, paid, for example. I know you touched on paid just a moment ago. That's very common. Uh, it might be that, um, you know, it, again, I'm, I'm going to reference different things that you've observed or you've mentioned that we've observed, Gia. It might be that uh, the, the person who was hired to lead marketing uh, doesn't really have a, a core foundation to work from in choosing what tactics to employ. And so they're like, kind of flying by the seat of their pants. I'm like, well, we could do this or we could try this. Uh, and, and everything feels very ad hoc. Uh, and there's no real system for setting growth goals, choosing the tactics uh, or developing a strategy and choosing tactics. Um, it's all typically leading up to the point at which companies or individuals find us. Um, growth has kind of been a game of like throwing darts. <laughs> um, so 
in working with companies, what we have, like the framework we've really developed, um, I'll, I'll name probably like the, the high level steps. And then you can, you know, tell me where we need to, where it's useful to dig in. Um, I'm going to describe it the way that we really do it with companies and, and how it's kind of turned into a series of steps. So the first step is always getting very, very clear on right now, what the critical business opportunity really is. Um, you know, there's so many different ways you can grow revenue depending on where within the customer's experience you choose to focus. Um, so that involves a bit of, um, math and, uh, usually a bit of a come to Jesus meeting (laughs) with the executive team, um, where we really get clear on whether it's the best use of their resources right now to be thinking about acquisition, or is it really a, um, is it really more of an activation and retaining more, um, you know, free or paid customers who are coming in? Um, or is it something else entirely? Is it thinking about, um, expansion opportunities for their current customer base? Um, so getting clear on where they think the biggest opportunity for growth is, is always where we start. Um, so that's step one. And then step two is actually gathering insights from the, um, what we, what we tend to define as like the ideal customer, um, for whom we think we should prioritize in that opportunity. Um, again, whether that is um, acquiring new customers, whether it's better activating existing, uh, free users or, or, um, you know, newly paying customers, so on, that that kind of shifts the direction of what customers um, or target market audience members we learn from. Um, and we leverage the jobs to be done framework in our research to really get to the heart of what pushes people to wake up one day and say, you know what, today's the day I'm going to buy X. Um, that's typically the missing insight that teams need in order to know which different, um, which different strategy, uh, which strategy, and then which different tactics to really employ. So we start with gaining that insight. And then we go to Gia, as you mentioned, building out um, systems and, and strategic documents, customer experience mapping, and so on, to really operationalize that and identify, you know, the, the correct um, milestones that real customers actually go through um, in their experience with this company, with this product. Um, oftentimes it, 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 this involves actually every time this involves, um, assessing whether the company has even been tracking the right KPIs to evaluate, um, whether they're on track with their growth goals or, or whether their growth goals and what their customers needs are, are aligned or out of whack. Um, so identifying the problem or the, the critical opportunity, gathering the right insight from the right um, segment of customers, building out um, strategic documents to operationalize that learning, um, and then putting together the actual strategy instead of tactics for growth um, is like the process at the highest level. Now, obviously, there's tons we could dig into, but I'll take a step back <laughs> um, because now I'm the one who's kind of gone on a bit of a tangent. No, a <laughs> not 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 a tangent uh, at all. And I just inter- I guess a couple of points on there. I mean, on the the critical kind of business opportunity um, mm-hmm. so you talked about, I, I guess, um, you know, in, so, in, in terms of where the customers are, are coming from or where, where you would necessarily kind of like focus, but it, it, would you also be looking at here if a, if a company has uh, maybe more than kind of like one product mm-hmm. uh, saying, well, look, actually, look, you're spending a lot of resource on, on these products. 
but the in terms of the from the revenue or the the return on these products uh you know yes. we think uh, you know more resources should be put here and you're kind of getting involved uh you yeah. know at that stage uh, as well is it, that's a that's such a good example and very timely. Uh, we're we're actually working with a company right now uh, that has had great success with their core product, and they recently um, acquired uh, another product. And they're um, you know they're they're kind of deciding whether they need to merge that product and the overall company positioning into um, into something new, or whether they're they're their challenge is, do we try to merge these two things and sell and, and reposition ourselves as this all-in-one solution? Or is our better move to sell our core product and then leverage this recently acquired product as like an expansion opportunity? Um, and that's, that's, that's almost exactly what you just described. So, so our, um, our objective as their consultants and advisors is to figure that out for them, is to understand are the reasons people hire these two different products similar enough that they could be packaged together or does this need to be more of like a land and expand or an upsell opportunity? Um, so I'm, I'm so glad you brought up that type of growth opportunity because those, those more mature companies um, struggle with things like this just as much as the, you know, earlier stage looking to scale um, and so on type of company. There's a, there's a few scenarios there as well. It might be a company mm-hmm. that so far has relied on a sales-led approach and is really interested in leveraging a product-led approach and right. they don't know right. how to go about that. Um, there's scenarios where there has been good and solid momentum for a few years, but because of recent events or because of product change, they've uh, experienced slowed or inconsistent growth or um, maybe something more along the lines of, okay, we've seen really good traction with the tactics that we've used so far, but now we really need to scale. We've just, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they just received some funding or maybe they're going after some funding and they need a plan um, for a, a, for scale, for revenue scaling. So there's a few different scenarios where this framework can be really, really helpful. Um, but it's, uh, honestly, it's, it's been so fun to do this type of work. It's just the most gratifying work ever. Um, and also we tend to meet companies at this point where they're like, there must be a change here. Like we, we have to address this and we know that there's a bigger opportunity. We just don't either have the time bandwidth internal like skill set inside the team to sort of take advantage. And so they come to us knowing that they need to make this, this shift. And it's been, you know, super, super gratifying to work with them. It's awesome. And also like use this framework and dig into the customer insights and the, the, you know, the answer is sort of like laid out for us. Um, so it's been really, really great so far. Uh, and hopefully it's not a, a stupid question, but with, uh, You've got sales-led growth, product-led growth. We're talking about, mm. you know, customer-led yes. growth. Uh, yep. Is customer-led growth, you, you know, complementary to, you know, your sales-led growth or your product-led growth motions, or is it an all? Awesome- you're asking that. <laughs> not a stupid question at all. Yeah, no, not a stupid question at all. Um, it, you know, the what we would say to that is it comes first. So mm-hmm. you can decide and make a much more informed decision about which of those growth strategies you should leverage and at what points you should leverage them when you are customer led first. So mm-hmm. when you figure out what is the most appropriate experience 
for this customer. So Claire was just talking about like, what, what is that day that they wake up and they're like, today is the day I solved this problem. What does that day look like? What does the next day look like? What does the, you know, evaluation of options look like? What are they comparing you to? Um, you know, are you, are you more likely up against direct competitors, alternative solutions, a spreadsheet, you know, those types of decisions Mm-hmm. are, you know, and that type of insight into your customers is critical to understanding whether or not you should even take a sales-led or product-led approach, mm-hmm. let alone, uh, you know, what might be going on inside of uh, that company, if it's a B2B, um, you know, who makes the decision, who feels the pain most acutely, who's most likely to go out and seek that solution, what, you know, what would be their favorite way to evaluate a product, what would they need to see, and in what order when they start to evaluate that product. All the answers to that become very clear when you're customer-led first and foremost, and then you can understand, then you can make the decision about here is where we're going to leverage our product. Here is where we're going to leverage some humans and maybe a sales led approach. And um, we need, you know, a higher touch potentially, you know, here's where we should introduce, you know, uh, marketing again, potentially, mm-hmm. right. You know, when we're talking about post acquisition and things like that. So it just, it gives customer led growth is sort of the, the idea is that it comes first um, above everything else. Yeah. Claire, jump, jump in. As you were speaking, Gia, a a pretty tangible example came to mind that might be useful. So there was a company we worked with earlier this year, uh, a very successful, um, very mature uh, agency, and they had built an internal software product and wanted to experiment uh, or explore, does this have legs? Can can this be something that we um, package and sell? You know, market with, yeah. Um, really, I mean, very common scenario, um, internally built solutions that you then realize, oh, opportunity here. Um, and the decision makers we were working with, um, had, you know, very, very kind of MVP style, gotten a couple of agency clients onto this product, um, and they were using it successfully. It was going really well. Um, but that go to market piece that what do we do with this thing to make it attractive piece was, uh, a big question mark for them. And so in our research, um, we, I, we interviewed different types of decision makers who were involved in the, um, the buying process. And what we realized, not, not, a, not a rare situation, was that there was an end user who really feels the pain and typically seeks out a solution like this. And then there's the executive decision maker they need to get buy-in from, right? So it's oftentimes some type of marketing leader who's like, this sucks, I need a solution. And then there's, um, you know, a, a, a CFO or a, um, a CEO, they need to prove the business case to. Now, our client had it in mind that the, the, the way to go about this was really going to speak, was, was going to be speaking to that decision maker. Uh, and in our research, we realized those that level of decision maker within this buying process doesn't doesn't really care about the solution. So we'll have to employ a completely different, much more sales-led, honestly, strategy if that's who you want to target. If you want to target the person who whose hair is on fire, if you want to target the person who really understands the problem, we're going to need to employ more of a product-led approach because that person is going to want to do the exploring themselves. They're not going to want to talk to a salesperson. They don't want to get on a demo. And so the customer-led piece really does help the company decide based on who you want to target, which of those 
product sales, uh, et cetera, led strategies is the right is the right choice. And I just want to jump back to when when you're you know talking through the uh, the framework, you talked about jobs to be done, which mm. is part of it, um, and then. Um, I gave a little bit of an expert, uh, explanation uh, uh, for that, but uh, from my from my knowledge, I I, I know that let's say, uh, and I'll probably do this you know massive injustice here, but you know I think like Bob Moester is involved in uh, mm-hmm. creating the uh, jobs to be done framework, and I think there is a video or there's something like Clayton Christensen talks about the the milkshake, uh, yeah. you yes. know, and, uh, the the job to be done is to fill the hunger. Uh, you know, or, 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 you know, and that's why the person is buying the milkshake. So you talk, you mm-hmm. about why does that person, your customer, wake up that morning and decides to right. buy your product? So, do you recommend my long-winded question with showing some knowledge or, or very little knowledge of <laughs> what, what this framework is, and, and that's it? So I hope we don't have like you know a, a, a whole. Evening. That was great. <laughs> um, but um, do you recommend all SaaS companies should be looking at you know something like jobs to be done? Uh, to you know, further uh, help them really kind of understand you, you know what's happening, why are people buying, and 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 if they did, that they would see some I don't know incremental kind of mm-hmm. you know uh, results or improvements. I am admittedly biased, but my answer is definitely yes. <laughs> it's truthfully, you know, whether we name it jobs to be done or whatever whatever title it gets, at the core. It's really just about understanding the psychology that pushes your ideal customer um, to seek out a solution and, and evaluate purchase options. Like it's very common sense. Um, the, the, the jobs to be done uh, language and um, kind of conventions, in my experience, just makes it easier to, it, it makes it easier to really do, I guess, if that makes, I have no idea if that makes any sense. It just makes it a bit more actionable. A hundred percent. And that, that was actually where I sort of, I fell in love with the framework and the work that you would mm-hmm. do when you would come back with all this customer insight. And I would, I immediately be like, okay, here's the whole, here's Make the whole note. plan. Here's the whole strategy right here. Now we need to turn it into something that teams can use and measure and build strategies around and feel like they um, can run really like meaningful experiments uh, with and, and, you know, feel really good and confident in and measure, you know, successfully over time and scale. Right. Um, you can make hiring decisions uh, based on this type of thing. You can, you know, uh, run obviously marketing experiments. You can, you can ex- expansion opportunities tend to sort of fall into your lap when you do this type of work as well. Uh, and by the way, the most obvious that I almost don't even want to mention is onboarding and product activation and product engagement and really meaningfully measuring product activation and product engagement. Like that, that goes without saying, um, I would say, you know, 90% of the time when we're working with companies, we identify massive success gaps in customers' ability to reach moments of value with the mm-hmm. product um, and through this type of work. And so being able to operationalize it in a way that teams can run with is sort of like where this thing takes off. Mm-hmm. And how, how does uh, uh, like one get this data from the customer are we talking actual phone calls you know to to the customer uh, or you know is this surveys this is not like from an mps that you're sending out kind of quarterly to get this information 
you mm-hmm. need to put in real calls and speak to the customer to get this information? How, how do you see that works when you're looking to kind of get this uh, this data? I'd say the the, the mix of the, the tactics used is going to be different based on the company and, and what their situation is. Um, if the situation is expansion into a new market, then we're talking about uh, employing audience research tactics or customer discovery tactics, which can be pretty different from, uh, hey, we've identified this really high value existing type of customer. Now, what are some expansion opportunities? Um, Another thing too is what the company themselves can actually do. For instance, some companies might want to invest in running really in-depth interviews and taking the time to really dig deep versus some other companies, which is probably more likely the case for listeners of this podcast, which is I need to get enough information that I can run, I can develop a really strong hypothesis about what needs to be done. And in those cases, surveys can go a really long way to developing a solid hypothesis. Um, Obviously interviews, like nobody, I mean, I don't think anybody would argue with the fact that interviews are, are the best case scenario and, you know, you should mm-hmm. always run at least uh, a handful of those, but you can get away with quite a bit less than you might initially think when you, when you see the word customer research, right? When you, it tend, it's kind of a scary term. It has, you know, connected connotations of taking months and, you know, being really, um, you know, potentially high level, but it doesn't have to be, you can be quite iterative about it and you can be quite sort of, um, uh, MVP. I don't want to say MVP, but the process that we use actually only takes a couple of weeks and can result in really powerful results, like in a very, very short amount of time results being, I feel I have a really solid hypothesis about what we need to do next. And now let's go out and validate it. Yeah. What I, what I would say is, uh, key there is whichever method is being used, um, it is so important that the questions be framed correctly. Yes. Um, the wrong, t- you, you know, you, Alex, you just mentioned an NPS survey, for example, mm-hmm. not the most useful tool to gather the insights that we need in this scenario. Uh, I'm working with an organization right now, um, and they are in quite a rush to get some insights within a short series of weeks. And the biggest um, I'd say that the biggest value add for them right now, having me on board as their advisor, is being able to steer what questions go out uh, to the segment we're trying to target. Because it's very common for a survey <laughs> to be an opportunity for every team to throw a couple of questions in that they want to learn. And that is a recipe for a useless uh, useless effort. Uh, so. And go off How the rails this, pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. So, so it can be done with things that are a little uh, lighter lift than a, a series of interviews. Um, but making sure that the right questions are asked is like, I can't yeah. overstate how important that is. <laughs> um, I can't have you leave uh, the, the podcast without asking. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned that obviously you work for Calendly and um you know, they've done incredible things. We had Tope uh, come to mm-hmm. Sastock in, I, w- I think it was 2017, I want to say, and they were 8 million in revenue. I was actually sitting ne- next to him in the speaker dinner, um, you know, having a, a conversation, learning about his kind of life story and, you know, mm-hmm. guy. and then a couple of years later, you know, they're at, uh, what is it, 3.5 billion valuation. 
Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I guess like, what stage were you at mm. with Calendly? Was it the zero to 10 kind of journey? And it was. The, the second, it was. The second part, which is great for the podcast. Uh, um, what was it uh, from the marketing side of things that they were doing right, you know, back then, way back then, mm. when this was like 2017. Um, right. That could be, you know, a couple of things that you, perhaps you could share, um, you know, with the audience. Sure. So I'll keep it brief because I know we're oof, kind yeah. of at time. Uh, first and foremost, what I can say is it's, and I, I think everyone in SAS would agree with this. When it's, when it's inherently a quality product, it's everything is easier. Right. And so one thing that the, the company did very, very right, even before I came on board was be extremely thoughtful about the user experience around the product. Um, there was a lot of thought given to, you know, what, what is, this is actually where I, this is kind of where my journey with the company began. Um, I came on board when it was um, in open beta. And so it was completely free. Um, I myself had been a, a beta user. Um, and the, like the first step of, of my journey with the company was transitioning it into a, a freemium product. Um, the team was incredibly thoughtful about feature gating and what what features are appropriate to gate versus what is going to um, like prevent a free user from getting enough value to convert to paid. Um, so having a fantastic product, really helpful. Uh, from a marketing perspective, um, that really changed the game for me and, and has led to the philosophy that Gia and I share, which is I came on board with the assumption that I would be responsible for what most marketing leaders are responsible for in those really early days, the zero revenue, uh, zero and ARR days, which is demand gen. Um, and Calendly didn't have a demand gen problem because of the nature of the product. It does its own marketing and viral loops, blah, blah, blah. Um, so what ended up happening was that my focus needed to shift from thinking about acquiring users to activating and retaining users. And that is where um, jobs to be done really came into my universe. Um, you know, we had a very healthy stream of free users coming into the product and very little insight on what, um, what people needed out of it to get enough value to stay and ultimately convert to paid. And so um, that was a major shift for me in realizing that, okay, acquisition is no longer, no longer the problem and no longer how I need to think about contributing to the growth of this, this product and this company. I need to be thinking about when someone hires the product, the free product, what do they need to, um, to, to really get value from it? And how do we do that as quickly as possible? And then how, what, um, what customer experiences do they need? What information or education do they need to get up from free to being prepared to pay? Um, so that is where I began learning about the jobs to be done theory. I was doing a ton of this research um, with our, it's a very broad product, right? Uh, so there were many, many different jobs people were hiring it to do. Um, and, and that to me at that, I mean, looking back, um, that was how we were able to go from just very, very broadly marketing this product as a scheduling tool to positioning it as a solution to specific struggles our different segments had. Um, and yes, to, to answer your question from a moment ago, um, 
yeah, I was, I was coming in as the literally like the second hire. Um, so it was Chope and myself, um, and then the team, the, the product team. And when I left, we were in the early millions ARR. I can't quite remember the number now. Um, but it was, it was, um, end of 2016. So shortly before, you know, you mentioned meeting in 2017. Awesome. Awesome. Well, th- thanks for sharing that story. And, and I'm, conscious that we are a little bit over time and you may have some more zoom calls to to, to jump on likewise <laughs> very quickly sort of quick fire i just recommended sort of like book whether it's sort of like marketing or growth from each of you you know for our, our listeners uh, Gia, um, maybe start with you. Is there is there one? <laughs> my, easy, my easy one. Well, April Dunford's uh, obviously sure. awesome is like top of my list uh, for recommendations. I really wish like I need a, a longer list of those for some reason. I she's just my easy one. I don't know, Claire. Do you have like a one off the top of your head? You stole it. April is fantastic. I know. Um, I'm sorry. I'm like going to check my Audible right now. <laughs> less of a book and um, less of a book and more of just a. Uh, presence in this space is Caitlin Burgoyne. Um, her yeah. her foundations um, are, are like the 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 growth methods she teaches are also focused on gaining customer insight, gaining audience insight. Um, mm-hmm. So we share some commonalities there. Yeah. Um, and Louis she is a, too. Oh, sorry. Yes, I was, I was gonna, just going to say she's a she's a master at um, she she's a master at like very actionable advice or tips. So she's great to follow on Twitter as an example, but yes, Louis, please. Yeah. As well. Louis Grenier, uh, everyone hates marketing. And, um, also I recently read Bob Amuesta's most recent book, Demand Side Sales, which was fantastic as well. Oh, good. I definitely recommend that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll have to check it out. Some great, uh, great tips there. Uh, good stuff. And, uh, finally, like where can people find you online? Um, how they find, forget the funnel, uh, and, and both of you. Twitter. Is a mm-hmm. gimme, uh, forgetthefunnel.com is the website. Nailed it. <laughs> well, look, thanks so much for uh, for being on the show. Fantastic to speak to you both, to meet uh, for the first time, Claire. Uh, hopefully see you both in Dublin uh, next year in, in October, but uh, <laughs> speak before then. Uh, but thanks so, uh, thanks so much, uh, Gia Lordi and uh, Claire Sullentrop from Forget the Funnel. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the SaaS Revolution Show. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.